Good evening, everyone. It is currently 7 o'clock p.m. on a Monday in Washington, D.C. I would like to invite you all to the first episode of the WantCast presented by the Eurasia Center. Um, my name is Casey Chambers. My constant co-host is Nicholas Klein. Introduce Hello. yourself, Nick. Uh, I'm Nicholas Klein. I'm, uh, I love international organizations, and I've long been interested in Europe, Asia, and the sweet spot known as Eurasia. And uh, what uh, year are you at American University, Nick? I am a junior, same as you. Exactly. Uh, we actually met each other at a U.S. foreign policy class, our introduction to uh, that very broad subject that I think is an interest of both of us. Yes, uh, this podcast, of course, is uh, more Eurasian-centric, but uh, you certainly can't talk about international relations without the U.S. It is a slightly rainy and cold uh, Monday, the 15th evening. Uh, this episode, we'll be discussing uh, democracy, what democracy means. And as Americans, the both of us, uh, there was an incident um, on January 6th that... Uh, you may have heard of it. You may, de depending on how you think about it, was a shock to American democracy or a massive shock to American democracy. And we'll get into that some more. Um, before we continue, uh, just want to let uh, inform everyone, uh, we will be doing weekly or bi-weekly. What do you think, Nick? Um. I think, I don't know, bi-weekly, I think, well, what, bi-weekly is two times per week, or? Yeah, two times a week. Hmm. I think bi-weekly. Bi-weekly might work. Yeah, we can, I think we'd pull, pull out two, two of these podcasts a week. They're like 15, 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. uh, but our good. goal is going to be to inform our viewers about uh, current events and international relations, uh, pressing topics. We'll discuss it all. We may have a couple guests down the line. Uh, there's certainly no shortage of uh, smart and intelligent people at the Eurasia Center that we'd love to have on. Uh, but let's get into it. Um, because democracy is something that is incredibly important to me. Uh, I would hope so. Incredibly important to you as well, Nick. Um, Gee, I don't really know. No, no, it is. Uh, especially, well, there's many, I think the, we'll, we'll get into it. There, there's many things uh, that this capital insurrection kind of brought to the forefront uh, that probably was on many people's minds uh, over the past four uh, or so years. Uh, but yeah, democracy, uh, democracy was uh, certainly um, important to me, especially when uh, you know, Trump first took office and he was calling, you know, the, the, you know, the media, the enemy of the people and everything like that. So democracy kind of became this thing where, uh, you know, it's not something you should take for granted, for sure. Exactly. Um, for me, I conceptualized it in 2016 um, as a change, but a continuation and I, I said to myself, well, the, the professional staff at the State Department, the professional staff at the Department of Defense won't change. Uh, there, there might be a new approach to, to foreign policy, some negative, some positive. Uh, there certainly was not much positive. Um, uh, but 
U.S. attacks on commitment to NATO, um, engagement with uh, leaders like Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin in a, frankly, um, and I'm not looking to rehash Trump foreign policy, but in an unbecoming and unprofessional manner with the amount of uh, positivity it was, it was placed there. And the way that just norms were eroded over the course of four years that led to the January 6th Capitol Hill attack. And from a international view, I'm, Nick and I are both, I, th I think it's fair to say they're both uh, internationalists. Uh, you may or may not perceive the U.S. as a shining light on the hill, but certainly American democracy stands for something in the world, and I would like to imagine continues to. And the guaranteeing the, the rights of peoples, um, the a free and open society that... Peaceful transition of power. Absolutely. All, all these things that you look for that leads to safety, stability, uh, a higher standard of living for all peoples, uh, protection of minorities, um, educational opportunities are all as a result of what happens when you have a free and integrated society where everyone is included and has the ability to uh, both put pressure on their government, um, change it when need be, and have a substantive uh, role in all aspects of their government, uh, foreign policy, domestic policy. And what was so tragic to me about the, the Capitol Hill attack is that it was a expression of discontent. It was a mass mobilization against all these standards that we hold so dear. And frankly, it was much too close to being successful than it should have been allowed to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I think the, the, the really tragic part <laughs> of it all is that, you know, this left five people dead. Uh, technically nine people dead. I was actually doing, re uh, you know, research on it. Um, and two police officers killed themselves after afterwards and, uh, and two more uh, rioters or insurrectionists, whatever, what, you know, whatever you would call them. Uh, they actually, two rioters, killed themselves afterwards as well. Uh, so, I mean, the official death toll is five, but then when you count like resulting suicides from this, it actually, uh, from, from this incident, it actually goes up to nine, which I think is just like, if there was nine people who died in any other country, when there's like, when their parliament came under attack, you'd, I mean, you'd be calling like an emergency meeting at the United Nations Security Council. So uh, what happened was on January 6th was, was pretty shocking for sure, but not necessarily surprising, but we'll get into that more. Well, that's a, certainly a disconcerting uh, thought. I don't necessarily think you're wrong on that front. Um, so let's discuss the day of January 6th when it was clear that there was potentially going to be violent scuffles in DC. Um, there had been uh 
isolated stabbings, uh, you know, proud, proud boys rallies in DC proper, but never anything like what happened on the six itself. And on the news, were, were you watching live when the, when the first uh, Capitol police lines started to fall? Uh, so no, um, I had actually been keeping up with what you were talking about earlier, uh, through either contacts in DC or, uh, just following, uh, chat rooms generally on the internet. Um, and also on, on the Twitter timeline. Uh, and it was pretty clear for weeks that something was building up, you know, you kind of hoped it was like hoping against hope that, you know, you wouldn't, um, you know, that something wasn't going to boil over. Um, so I was actually, I was scrolling through, I was scrolling through Twitter and I was trying to find out the latest because we knew, you know, President Trump was holding this rally on the ellipses of the White House uh, and he had just finished speaking and there was, you know, you were at this point in question where it was like, well, is this speech going to be as incendiary as we think it's going to be? Uh, you know, did he drop the hint to the crowd that he wants them to go to the Capitol? And the answer is yes, right? It basically was just as incendiary as as uh, as we thought it was going to be. I watched Rudy Giuliani say we need a trial by combat, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it was pre- it was pretty clear that it was going to this was going to bubble over. Um, so the first, so then there were videos taken by individual reporters that started surfacing of the police lines falling. Um, and then eventually maybe about 20 minutes later, I saw a newscast where where there were just like hundreds, maybe, I don't, I don't know how many people were in that crowd thousands maybe on the on the steps of the capitol and it was a i mean it was a really like breathtaking image in in not in a good way (laughs) um so i that's when i turn on the news and then the rest of the the rest of the day you know from there on out uh eventually we saw video of of people walking through the capitol uh there were security footage of you know people on the senate floor uh, and it, it was, it was pretty shocking that that's where I was on the day it happened, uh, online originally. And then basically it was like, it was like watching the, it was like, it was like watching the internet discourse spill over into real life where all of a sudden all the groups I'd only heard about on the internet, like, you know, um, AF pack and proud boys were all of a sudden, and three percenters, oath keepers, like all of a sudden it was, it was like, it, it, you know, these fantasies were no longer, you know, fantasies anymore. They were clearly um, spilling out into, into the real world onto, onto the streets of DC. Yeah. And that was, I, I followed a similar trajectory as you. Um, I've been keeping tabs of it um, in the morning. I was actually back home in California. My family was away on a walk. Um, I at the time was pretty hurt, so I wasn't able to move particularly much. So I'm sitting on the sofa, uh, scrolling Twitter, and I'm starting to see the first videos come out. And I went, oh my God, I need to throw on CNN right now. What's what's going on? And it became clear to me that not that 
U.S. democracy was going to fall per se, but that oh my god, um, those groups, the the Boogaloo Boys, right, got what they wanted. Like holy cow, they won. Uh, and and as, as we saw them enter the Capitol, breaking windows, um, I said, oh my god, they're attacking the physical bastion of American democracy, um, where the where our representatives and senators gather to uh, run the country. And then you saw the images of them making it all the way to the Senate floor. And I thought to myself, how, how do they get that far into the building? Um, and it was that point that I realized that effectively the whole building had been opened up to them. And it wasn't even, I don't think, not until late that evening that we realized just how close they'd gotten to Mike Pence to uh, Chuck Schumer, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, so many representatives uh, and senators had stories about that day. And it it was horrifying as as we learned more and more. So I guess that kind of, uh, you know, kind of leaves us... uh, well, you know, what were the warning signs, right? Like what made this possible? And I'm going to take a shot here first. And, you know, you can disagree with me if you want, but I'm going to say the first thing that made this possible uh, was, um, well, first of all, there's like a failing consistently of the education system in this country that leaves people completely lacking critical thinking skills. And the second portion of it was when the president openly tells lies. And that's what they are. They're lies, right? They're lies. He's talking about, you know, late night dumpings of, of ballots or, the, you know, there's something about like he, fe- that they, he made up, you know, he tweeted a, a gateway pundit uh, story about ballots being found on the side of the highway that apparently were all for him. Right. Uh, and then upping the stakes and saying, you know, that the, the election was stolen. Right. And by the way, saying that it, that, that if, if we don't fight back, we're not going to have a country anymore. Right. This is the kind of, I mean, it's not just misinformation, it's disinformation. This was an incident of disinformation coupled with, I would say, far-right radicalism going, going in IRL, going in real life. It had been, you know, it had been peddled by, you know, accounts with, with Pepe the Frog memes on, you know, on their, on their avvies and whatever. And uh, you uh, can, you, can you just tell uh, listeners what obvious means? Obvious is like the picture on a, on a Twitter profile, essentially. Um, you know, and, and some of them, you know, these things went viral. People, you know, there were members of Congress retweeting them too, which I think openly added fuel to the fire, uh, you know. Um, and then, of course, there were like 100 some odd Republicans in the House who still even after the events of that day decided they weren't going to recognize the results of the election coupled with eight senators after, after the events of that day. I mean, 
you have to look at that and go, this is a political, this, this isn't just like 3000 people who just got together. They were, this was a one-off, right? No, this wasn't a one-off. It was, it's, it's a political environment in the United States now for sure. And I think that's part of the reason why it was possible. Mm -hmm. I I completely agree that it wasn't a singular uh, factor. I mean, there was a convergence of circumstances like you said, a uh, malfunctioning education system, the fueling of the flames by um, political leaders, certainly uh, you have to imagine that uh, re- uh, Republicans continuing to challenge the sanctity of the election all the way to, the, to its certification, e- even after the attack had taken place, made people legitimately think that the election had been stolen from them and beyond the toll in human lives beyond the symbolism of what happened that we have to imagine this is the new normal is is truly uh truly quite painful to me uh frankly and i i, I went down downtown today in dc i had to go to the to the hospital um for a for an appointment and uh went on went on massachusetts avenue above the uh above congress and you have the the national guard troops the razor wire still it's more than a month after and capitol police have been talking about leaving that fencing up um it's unclear how long the national guard deployment is going to remain that our democracy wasn't secure that day and this is what is required in in the face of the new normal of what political discourse looks like in the u.s to secure it and that's that's tragic to me and the fact that we potentially did get that close to losing you know the vice president of the united states the the speaker of the the house um we we had saw those uh and I am not using awesome in a good manner here, but awesome and shocking images of Officer Eugene Goodman uh, saving Mitt Romney uh, that came out at the uh, impeachment proceedings. Uh, we had that that famous photo of him leading uh, insurrectionists the opposite direction away from the the Senate floor, but that armed terrorists breached congress and made it made it that close to to government officials you know like there's this weird debate that was happening on like whether or not we should call them terrorists because some people thought it was too harsh and i'd argue no it's perfectly perfectly fine (laughs) to call them terrorists uh because you, you mean you mentioned how close they got Right. Uh, you know, one, one of the other videos we saw at the impeachment uh, proceedings in, in the Senate were like Nancy Pelosi staffers having to duck into a doorway. And then maybe a minute later, there were dozens, hundreds of rioters and some of them even tried knocking down the door. And some of these people were carrying, you know, don't even call them zip ties. They were like they were basically plastic restraint cuffs, like not, not basically they are. Um flex cuffs that have a military and security purpose for detaining large groups of people for for restraining people like they were gonna 
get I mean, like in some ways it's a miracle that it wasn't like a mass fatality event because they clearly with that amount of people they were clearly going to get whoever they ha- take whoever they got their hands on i mean they set up a noose outside of the capital grounds i mean that's just it's shocking to me so heroes like eugene goodman um like we probably need to make this i mean without him it's possible the vice president might have even been executed uh yeah like assassinated executed i think maybe would be the right word like i wonder like january 6th might need to become like national eugene goodman day or something like it's it was shocking well and speaking of shocking what was so so sad to me was that the FBI and Capitol Police had produced these intelligence reports saying, you know, there's going to be tens of thousands of people at the mall. It is has a high potential of violent event. And I can't tell you one way or the other who was responsible for making the calls that day, who didn't uh, approve the National Guard to come in immediately. Why... I mean, there are security resources in DC that as far as I'm aware, weren't activated. And I couldn't tell you why. Um, I, I guess maybe that leaders were in the dark in the same way that we were until later uh, when it was clear just how much of a failing it was, but, and, and it's a morbid thought, but what, what would we be doing if it was a massive fatality incident and, you know, members of Congress died what 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 would the yeah, takeaways be different now? Yeah, uh, in what ways would it be different? Uh, I think like people try to make the nine eleven analogy with this, and I go, no, that's kind of not. I mean, I can see it because it's I mean, it's the nation's capital. <laughs> it's the Capitol building, right? Like, it's pretty shocking. I mean, in a way, that's. That's like a, it's like a, I don't want to say holy, but like a sacred site, you know? Um, but I, I honestly, I'm, I'm pessimistic about this not happening again or something. I mean, not necessarily like a mass protest siege, but I am pessimistic about, you know, other plots coming forward and maybe even being properly executed uh, that are this day was only a premonition of, you know? And um, I think if more people died in this, uh, I don't want to say we'd go on a war footing, but I mean, if, if there were representatives killed in this attack, senators maybe even, um, I think we'd be in a very different place as a country because we'd have to actually reckon with ourselves that our lies, our disinformation actually got our own Congress people killed. And that and, would be a pill to swallow. And we haven't done that reckoning. It's unclear whether no, or not there will be a 9-11 style commission to understand what happened and how it happened. And that's what I'm saying. Like people are saying like this is the 9-11. I argue this is like this is like the bombing that happened at the World Trade Center. Eight eight years before 9-11. Like, this is like a pre, I feel like this is a precursor. I'm really worried that this is, because one of the things people don't understand about the far right movement 
in this country and globally also, you know, because one of the things senators also want to look at is what were their global connections in this, you know, were there global connections? Uh, is that just how nihilistic it all is really? And it's hard to see, especially if we don't have a reckoning, it's hard to see it stopping. And, and that's exactly right. You and I don't have the answers to these questions that frankly we should have because that the, the investigations haven't begun. Did you personally read uh, the full Mueller report? I read large swaths of it and I could tell you right away, I just knew, well, especially in the chapters that dealt with like Eric Prince and Steve Bannon, I knew then that this was an, an international movement that's, that's going to have a widespread connections, networks, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, much ways like the jihadist movement of the 1990s in a way. It was just, it's kind of manifesting itself all over the world and there's connections and there's overlappings. And that's when I knew I was like, this is going to get, this isn't going away anytime soon. Exactly. And I mean, I would like to see, you know, a multi hundred page report accounting for all these questions that we don't have answers to right now so that we can learn, move forward, feel safe again, because I, I feel confident at this point in the physical, physical security of Congress because there's an eight-foot-tall fence with a razor wire on top and multiple thousands of National Guard troops with uh, automatic rifles protecting Congress right now. And the, the physical security, uh, for, uh, for all intents and purposes, seems to be there. But democracy feels shaky in a way that I'm not even sure I felt um, before the the election of Joe Biden that, and, and we can be honest here, Joe Biden was elected. He won by approximately 7 million votes. Shouldn't even be that controversial. <laughs> Apparently it is in I, some quarters. I would hope it's not. And the damage that this does to democracy in the world, to human rights in the world, the way that it... Um, hamstrings United States going forward, that this is our new normal and we don't know how to move past it. I couldn't tell you what a honest, uh, fair media system across the, the American public would look like because we don't have it now and it's unclear how we would get there. Um, you have organizations like uh, Newsmax and One American News Network that just aren't news. And they're not. It's <laughs> you know, just... I, I, can, I can speak to it. I mean, like I have family members who watch One American News and maybe even Newsmax. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, even some of the programs on Fox News delve into almost seemed to like be part of the pipeline of, of right-wing disinformation and like Tucker Carlson, <laughs> for example. Uh, there's m- like many, many 
facets to this that has in, in very clever way has made stuff that you'd originally see on like 8chan or 4chan goes through the pipeline and all of a sudden is being filtered more or less regurgitated to an audience uh, of 40 million people and that's how it goes mainstream you know um, it's pretty disconcerting and uh, I would say also it shows that there's a there, there's a level of what'd you call it uh, public there's a level of public uh, barriers that have definitely broken down. And listen, not, not to say that you can't have barriers in democracy, but they're supposed to be like news is supposed to be news. <laughs> it's not supposed to be like some made up story that, that you then, you know, throw a breaking news caption over. Um, but then again, you know, that also kind of goes back to the critical thinking aspect. Like, well, okay, if someone says that there's 3,000 pedophiles in a cabal, uh, you know, breaking news, and they're just saying it, and now it's fact because they put breaking news over it, and they're just saying it, like, critical thinking skills should kick in and say, okay, where's the evidence for this, you know, where's the, where's the you know, where's the FBI reports, right, and it's like, increasingly, people just don't do that, which is, I mean, also says stuff about society itself larger. And and the issue isn't per se us advocating that let's ban speech or to determine who gets to broadcast on American airwaves. But the, the larger point here is the discourse is broken down and the, the idea of a free society is that everyone has the capacity for speech and that these ideas get pushed outside of the mainstream, far outside of the mainstream because they aren't normal, because they aren't factual. They aren't healthy. Because they're harmful. Exactly. Thank you. That's exactly, that's exactly where I was going. And these divisions and these fractions, I don't know how we, how we fix and how we heal. I've heard concerning ideas that, we need to heal and move on and healing isn't going to happen by moving on and pretending nothing happened here. But I also couldn't tell you what we do to make democracy again, the way that it was supposed to be. Um, And I think this uh, podcast has run on a little longer than we were intending because it is important subject matter. We do have strong emotions about it. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to have any last thoughts before we move on to the statistic of the day. One of the uh, one of the things is, you know, do we bear any responsibility, right? Like, and I, I would argue collectively as a society, th- there's got to be a reckoning of like, yeah, uh, especially if you're a public figure, like a verified public figure with a little blue check mark by your name, that means you have an audience. And that's not to say you're canceled if you retweet something, but it's also, there's still, you know, there's also something about accountability and responsibility uh, and peddling lies, even if you don't think they're lies 
to, to your audience of 130,000, 1 million followers, you know, 85 million followers, however many, whoever you are, uh, there, you know, there, there's a responsibility in that, that I, you know, people need to realize. And until, until people do, you know, um, just because you have a blue check mark by your name doesn't mean you know everything. And until people realize that, uh, not, nothing's going to fundamentally change, I don't think. Exactly. Well, you and I will continue over the course of the, the next weeks, months, God forbid, years, who knows how long this will go, and bring that uh, honest intellectual curiosity um, truth, civil discussion to be that, you know, fair voice, uh, talking about what needs to be talked about. Um, and to, to wrap it all up, demo- democracy matters, right? There are actual people who are harmed in the real world, people who die, who get snuffed out under the foot of authoritarianism when it doesn't work properly and the the breaking down of u.s civil discourse our democracy the the example we set for the world is that our our statistic of the day is 5.37 that is the economist integrity units uh average uh score for democracy in 2020 uh, pre the Capitol Hill uh, riot. And that is down uh, a tenth of a percent. Uh, it was it was 5.47 in 2019. It's now 5.37. Uh, democracy is on the retreat around the world. Um, illiberalism is on the rise. And we need to I don't know, fix that. And we can, we, we have many podcasts ahead of us to get into how we're going to do that. Um, so I'd like to thank the Carnegie Council's audio podcast for bringing this idea of the statistic of the, of the week or of the two times a week, potentially depending on our schedule um, and close it out here. Um, thank you for joining me, Nick. I look thank forward to this next taking. one. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. I look forward to the next one as well. And thank you to all our listeners who uh, stayed with us. Uh, we'll try to keep it shorter next time, but uh, this is a kind one. of yeah, kind of an emotional topic, and, and it's the first one out of the gate, so it's kind of a double whammy. Exactly. Well, I hope that uh, you continue to join us for more of these, and have a good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It's five o'clock somewhere. Thank you for listening. <laughs>